Hey, what's up? It's me, David, host of the First Four Years podcast. Carving out your own path as a creative professional or an entrepreneur is not just a simple to follow process. It's an unfolding journey of self-discovery, learning, and development. So think of this podcast as a journal of that process, what it's really like in the early phase of starting out and building your own path as a creative today. And if you're coming with me on that journey, let's take that next step forward. Welcome to the first four years. All right, Matt. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I feel like sales is something that is the scary subject or bad word in the artist community. And so I thought bringing on somebody who's a sales expert would be a great opportunity just to demystify that a bit um, and hear some about how, how somebody can make that transition to actually enjoying sales because I think for a lot of people that's something that they kind of just dread and you've got so much pride in your work and it just kind of shines through both in your emails but also your courses that you lead so uh, looking forward to jumping in but welcome to the show the pleasure is entirely mine David thanks for having me totally and normally I start by asking what do you sell um, and I feel like that's a bit meta for this so I guess mm. I'll just start by asking what all do you have going on right now Oh, what a great question. So I sell sales education, really. Um, and probably if it's distilled down, I sell sales confidence, I believe. And that, that confidence comes through practice, it comes through knowledge, and it comes through successful application. Um, and that's really what I, what I do. And the way that I do that and the various things that I've got going on are I focus on the business owner, typically. Typically, not exclusively, but typically. Um, and I work with that business owner who is running a tiny business, you know, tiny kind of sub two and a half million, possibly one to three employees, um, typically service businesses, but not exclusively. And I provide them with support in a couple of ways. I have a, a, an email mastermind program called the Single Malt Mastermind. Um, and that's essentially a, an email autoresponder which, which holds you accountable and gives you an opportunity to sit back for 15 minutes at the end of every week and say, well, it wasn't a terrible week or next week could be better. Uh, and I receive those emails and sometimes respond and uh, provide, a, provide a platform there. I also have a mastermind program, which is currently called the Professional Persuasion Program, but is likely to be renamed next year. Um, because because largely, although everybody in there is interested in the techniques of selling and persuasion, what they really want is uh, an advisory board. Uh, they want uh, a board of advisors. They want some help with the, the, the daily struggles, the daily issues surrounding running a business. And those can be small things like, you know, which software platform should I be using or what's your experience of doing this kind of promotion? Or it can be larger, more strategic stuff. Uh, and often it's about having friends, right? Having a, a, a friendly community. Uh, we do, yeah. we, we have a, a community. I'm not ma majorly active on Facebook. I actually discourage members of my community from posting in the Facebook group that we have. I believe that work doesn't get done there for most of us. Uh, but we have um, regular calls, catch up on um, you know, uh, group, group telephone calls. And I've also implemented something called uh, the prep periods or prep sessions, which is virtual co-working. So once a week or once every two weeks, we'll jump onto a silent co-working Zoom session and 
gets done, then I really want to give people an extra, you know, an extra day or two of, of useful work every month. Um, well, and as a member of that program, I just want to say thank you because, yeah, it, it's an incredible uh, course and series and just your longevity with it, um, being that it, it continues and you're also continuing to develop different aspects of that. Um, just yeah, I want to vouch for that. I'm a member myself and uh, it's been great. Well, thank you. And, and really longevity is, was, was all about a move to simplicity. Um, I don't want to sell. I don't want to be creating new stuff every week. I don't want to be launching things um, on a regular basis. I just want that that one focus. You know, if I talk to you, if I can help you, you can join my, my mastermind because um, that's a way that I can facilitate things for you. Can you can you break down that shift for me then? So uh, what was starting to feel very complex for you and how did you uh, simplify? Okay, so for many, many years, I used to own a recruitment company and um, I left that recruitment company with my tail between my legs because I, I hated it. I um, The company did well. I had a very fraught relationship with my business partner who was the financial backer and I was getting unhealthy. You know, my, my son was born. I wasn't seeing much of him. I was creating dashboards and numbers and talking to the banks and the lenders and the, um, the, the, the insurance companies and dealing with staff and dealing with um, paperwork and, and working seven days a week. And uh, I, was, I was doing great financially and very, very bad spiritually and in, physically. So I left that and I, and I jumped um, kind of headfirst into coaching. I was doing one-to-one coaching and I, and I trained up in the Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training, which became a true godsend for me because over the years, I, I ended up becoming faculty and actually running the organization for a very long time. What, what is that? What is that organization? Sure. So the explain. Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training is an organization set up by a gentleman called Michael Port, who wrote the book, Book Yourself Solid, which is really required reading for all of my clients and um, indeed I still teach that um, sometimes in, in seminars and, and in keynotes and it's really designed as a nuts to bolt nuts and bolts um, head head to tail business building and marketing system for somebody who wants to set up on their own so the school of coach training was a great option for me because what Michael's done is he's licensed his his material is available for license, rather like a franchise, but um, a license as opposed to a franchise. And it's for business coaches who either want something, some framework, some structure, some intellectual property they can teach, or um, or for or for people who already have stuff, but they want to add an extra bow to their quiver. So in my situation, I knew I had all the real world experience of selling and marketing and growing a business, but what I didn't have was a framework to teach. Um, if you'd hired me as a coach before, book yourself solid, I would have been flying by the seat of my hands and improvising, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but certainly it was more reassuring to me, to my prospects and to my clients that we were working through some kind of system um, towards a common goal. Most, most people see that as a barrier, I think, when they're getting started is they want to be a coach, um, but they're not really sure what the framework should be. I mean, it's a lot to kind of take on to build that for yourself, especially if you're starting out. So I can understand how that adds that layer of credibility and lets you um, move forward faster. It was a, it was all about speed for me. You know, I knew I could do it. I knew I could wing it. I didn't want to wing it. 
uh, I knew I had the knowledge, the knowledge just wasn't organized. And, you know, Michael taught me a lot, but, um, but also I was able to take this framework, which really goes from, um, you know, how to, how to choose a target market through to how to get more referrals and everything in between, um, with some kind of semblance of order. So many, you know, uh, Michael has frequently taught me and, and everyone that he teaches that the most, the experts, the coaches, the teachers, the trainers that are the easiest to listen to and frequently the most successful are not those with the, the biggest reservoir of knowledge, but they're those who are the best at organizing information. So information is free and available. Um, the people who can teach it best are the ones who can, who can take that information and make it easy to understand. So it's not even necessarily about the knowledge that someone has if they want to jump into coaching. Sometimes it's about, it's about the details of how they organize that knowledge that they're actually missing. And that could be a reason why they're not getting the clients they're hoping for. I think that's very frequently the reason. I think, I think there are number, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that, but um, you know, and I know, and whenever I do a seminar, every single person in the room puts their hands up to say that they know an individual who is less competent, less skillful, um, with less experience, who's making considerably more money than they are, right? <laughs> so it's not a meritocracy. It's not a meritocracy. It comes down to, uh, I think, three things. Re I mean, if I thought about it longer, maybe I'd have 10 things, but top of my head, three things. One is definitely the intellectual property that you possess. You know, do you want to buy coaching or do you want to buy a fail-proof 16-step system for getting more clients than you can handle even if you hate marketing and selling? One is more attractive than the other. Um, the other thing is marketing chops, uh, which I believe is confidence and sales as well. So how, how confident are you to talk yourself up, frankly? How good is your self-promotion? How good are you at converting uh, the awareness that you do with your self-promotion into cash in the bank and clients in the roster? Uh, and the third part, I think, is positioning and, and credibility. And, and it can be taught it is, I believe, a little bit innate. You know, there are many people who attend, uh, who have attended in the past coaching seminars I've done in the UK, perhaps less so in, in the States, but in the UK. And, and you know, I, that I, I say this with love, but also with, a, with truth. You know, I wouldn't work with some of them because the way that they present in the world doesn't inspire confidence in me. You know, if they, if they haven't trimmed their nose hair, um, I, I, and they haven't invested in a pair of shoes for the last 15 years, I'm not likely to want to invest in them. And I think there's a little bit about that. And that I, th I think that's kind of self-awareness, situational awareness, which, which is sometimes lacking and, and I think is more difficult to overcome. Sure. I, I want to get back to confidence um, at some point because I think that's a really important aspect and I want to hear some about your thoughts on how you develop that. But going back to point one, do you think that, the reason some people don't want to buy into um, a system that's already been built uh, is because they feel like there's some kind of art to it. And really, it's it's less of an art and more of a process and a system that you apply. I think that was one thing that I've started to learn when I look at experts in a lot of different fields from marketing to sales is that they've actually built a system for themselves. It's not it's it's almost more of a science than it is an art. And maybe it's the case that people sort of feel like things should be in art and they should be free form and natural. Um, whereas what you're speaking about in option one is um, finding a system that works. It, it, am, I, am I dissecting that right? 
Yeah, yeah, you really are. And any any art, and I know you'll appreciate this, uh, is based on a fundamental understanding of of unbending principles, right? How how uh, do you what? what are you, you're a photographer, are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, started right. started as a photographer, okay. but now business owner. So I had to switch sure. skill sets. There. But your your art originally, at least, was photography. Maybe you're a painter, mm-hmm. or maybe you're a juggler, or a gymnast, or or, or anything else, a writer. Um, it's very difficult to be, or a musician, it's very difficult to be creative unless we have, unless we understand the frameworks around which we can create, right? Can you create art with a guitar if you don't know how to form a chord? I'd say categorically not. Can you create art with a piano if you don't know the scales? No. Um, Can you create art with a camera if you don't understand the difference between aperture and... Um, you see, this is this is why I don't create art with a camera, <laughs> yeah, right? Let's, let's say aperture and ISO, sure. Right? Um, and mm-hmm. can you can you create art with a with a spreadsheet if you don't understand basic spreadsheet functions? And I'm a juggler, right? Something I I used to be very very good at, um, and it was impossible to master um, the advanced creative flowery stuff, the stuff that looked like it was improvised and um, effortless without putting in the hours to master the basics and any you'll 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 recognize um the highest compliment that that many creative types including coaches can receive is they make it look so effortless and mm-hmm. the only reason they can make it look so effortless is because they know the stuff inside and out and and i really would say and and this is exactly what i teach when it comes to selling the only you you nailed it at the beginning you said you know to make selling more fun and more enjoyable it's impossible to do that if you've got a blindfold on. You've got to understand the lay of the land to really enjoy the journey. This is so important. I think a lot of people, when they're starting out, uh, they they get into their careers or they're starting their own business, and they look around, like you said, at other people who are maybe less competent but doing better, and they just feel like there's something huge missing. Like there's like this knowledge that they just don't have. And I think what you're saying is that they they don't. <laughs> there's there's right. a fundamental um, understanding of how the rules of the game for that particular industry or art work, and you should actually focus your efforts there, get that down pat, and then you can start exploring and breaking the rules. It's yeah, it's almost like you you want to be traditional, and and then you can be avant garde. I was at an event called uh, Heroic Public Speaking Live last month in Philadelphia, run by. Uh, the good folk at Heroic Public Speaking, also Michael Port, who created Book Yourself Solid, now teaches um, public speaking. I believe it's the best event uh, around the art of performance that exists. And I think Michael and Amy Port are the best teachers. But um, very, very fascinating guy who was teaching there is a guy called Ron Tite. Uh, he's a Canadian comedian, TV producer, public speaker, uh, and he's on the faculty at the Heroic Public Speaking program. And he was talking about comedy comedians, and he says so many... This is to reinforce your point, David. So many mm-hmm. new comedians will think the key to being funny is to get up there and swear and blaspheme and cuss and make rude, dirty jokes because they see their heroes doing it. Uh, but what they and they fall flat. You know, it doesn't have the same impact. They can drop the f bomb um, twenty times during their set, and it's not going to be nearly as funny as when Louis C.K. drops it once during his set. Um, And the reason for that is because um, Louis C.K. and all the other um, seasoned performers, seasoned comedians, have earned, um, have have understood how it works, have earned the right to play with the fundamentals. 
um, I have earned the right, you know, jazz. Um, I'm, I'm kind of riffing a little bit myself now. I feel a bit like a jazz, jazz musician, right? Um, jazz is the same. How do you, you know, how, how are you able to go crazy at the keyboard? Um, and, you know, if you're going to hit the flat notes next to the sharp notes, and if you make a mistake, you, you know, just bang both keys louder uh, than you did and make it look intentional. Well, it's only because you, you've earned the right to do that over the years. You've earned the, you've earned your stripes. You've become the, you've become at one with your material rather than jumping in and saying, I'll try and copy what that person is doing. Um, you know, below the, below the water, those guys are kicking very steadily, very slowly, Mm -hmm conserving their energy whereas below the water for the newbies they're they're flailing and thrashing around (laughs) like mad and uh, struggling to stay afloat yeah that's a great illustration and one of the things i mentioned earlier was demystifying and i think really what you're doing through that process and, and the teaching that you do is you're also demystifying and you're saying um, no, this isn't this big black box. There's actually a system going on here, and I'm going to teach you how to understand that. And it seems like the best coaches and the best uh, courses you can go to, the best events you can go to, are the ones that demystify and give you um, the correct kind of process and the correct system that's going to deliver results. How, with, with so much out there, with so many courses popping up, um, how can people understand and find the right people to listen to? Because I think it's something you've done very well. Like it seems like you've chosen the right uh, places to go to learn, the right people to learn from. How can someone understand if the person they're learning from or a course is going to actually educate them in that way? Wow, what a good question. Um, I I think, Okay, so I don't know. I tell you the way that I've done it. How about the way that I've done it? Um, I can't speak for everybody else. Although I did immediately think of the kind of seminar junkies or the info product junkies that spend money on on everything um, and and seem to not make an enormous amount of progress. Um, and no judgment there, but that does exist. In my case, I've kind of done the opposite. Um, I was with one teacher for five years. Um, I'm now I've now been with my coach for three and a half years, um, and probably. I keep myself abreast of what the industry is doing and and I have a budget for self-improvement and business improvement uh, built into my to my um, accounts every month but uh, I'm very conservative um, and I make decisions very slowly so the way that I chose my first mentor I guess was or and, and for that you could say book or course or something like that I got very clear on what my learning outcome wanted to be so what what am I looking for um, if I want to explore the Kalahari, I'm not going to take a Sherpa with me, right? Um, but if I want to climb um, a, a mountain in the Himalayas, I would take a Sherpa with me because they'd be the best person for the job. Uh, very often, it's it's the person who's done what you want to do who can do it, although they're not always the best teachers. Just because somebody is a good executor doesn't mean they're a great teacher. Is it possible that you can have a basketball coach who doesn't know how to throw a basketball? It is, actually. You know, it is possible. I think I think it's unlikely. Or a swimming coach who doesn't know how to swim. Um, it, it is possible, but it's, it's probably not recommended. So the way that I did it, I was just very slow. And I said, look, here's what I want to do. I want to run a, a location-independent service business where I don't have to have any employees and I can run at an 80 to 90% profit margin. Who's doing that? Oh, and by the way, I love speaking and writing. So if I can incorporate some of that into it, then it would make sense. 
Oh, and also what I want is to be able to um, uh, fast track my way to having coaching material. So there were kind of five or six very clear criteria. And I kept my radar open. You know, I was clear about what I wanted for probably six months. And because I was a keen student and learner and, and, and follower and copier of, um, of, of marketing people, I was on a number of mailing lists. And, and, you know, when they say the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think that was exactly what happened with me. Um, the second, the coach that I was, and that was Michael Paul. And then um, I've been in Tacky Moore's Black Belt program. Tacky Moore is a million dollar coach.com and he has a black belt program. And I found him when I realized that um, although I was booked solid in my coaching business, I really wanted to move to the next step, which was scale. Uh, and Tacky, because I've been friends with him and I've been listening to him and I've been observing him and you know, paying attention to the industry, which I really think every industry expert has a, an obligation to their clients, to their students, to themselves to do. Um, when Taki was consistently talking about moving from uh, working one-to-one -one with clients to working one-to-many um, over and over again, you know, banging the same drum w with proof um, that his, his clients were killing it, uh, I knew that he was the right person for me. So I, I think a lot of people, it's, it's another early mistake, which is they sort of think that these type of courses or these teachers or mentors don't actually work. Yeah. And maybe that's because um, maybe that's because there's so much out there and that's part of why it's hard to judge. But what I think another item we can kind of demystify here, and, and I've had a coach for a number of years and um, have invested a ton of money in my own development, is that all the people who are the best at what they do are actually hiring a lot of people to learn from. And I think maybe that's something that that people don't always understand as well, that that learning has to um, continue not only with yourself and just reading and staying up on knowledge, like you mentioned, um, but also realizing that you really don't know um, that much and that other people have figured it out um, and that you can uh, learn from them. I, I think another skill that you have just from some observation is not only do you select the right people to learn from, but you seem to excel in their programs and often um, become close or just, you know, that's just my observation, become close with these different teachers and mentors um, with people joining a, a seminar or a course or getting a coach. How do you actually excel in that role so that you get this success that you're looking for um, and it, it lasts longer? Like I think you've built these lasting relationships and it seems to be part of the foundation of your network. So what's the question? Ah, so the question is, making it easy, how do you excel? Let's say you do find a coach um, or a course. How do you actually excel in that environment to um, build your network and, and find success there? How can somebody be a great student for these different courses or coaches? You know, coaches always want to back winners for a start. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm English and very, very hesitant to talk about myself or, or figures or, or success. Yeah, it's not a word I like to use particularly. Um, uh, but if you can, you know, if you can make the coach look good, that really helps. So that was certainly the case with Michael. You know, Michael was, was happy to have me out in the world representing his brand, um, and talking about the experience that I had with him. Um, and so if you could do the same thing for your teacher, they, in almost every exception, in almost every case with very few exceptions, um, people want to see that they're certainly everybody I know, you know, they're not interested in your money. They're interested in your money and your 
proof of of their capability and that comes with you implementing right so you said something interesting earlier david which was um people believe that these courses don't work well that's like saying french lessons at school don't work or science lessons don't work do they yeah they work for actually most people and a few people flunk out but when you don't have any choice but to watch apply and do and pass the exam then they do work um but there'll always be a few who flunk out um I think there is a, a section, there'll always be, you know, vendors of hot air and vague promises who are interested in taking your cash and then interested in never hearing from you again. And that will always exist and it always has existed. But the world is so, um, it's so easy to, to get information and, and, and to check references. And especially if you're willing to take a little bit of time um, to, to look at results that I, th I think that should be less of an issue going forward. Than it has been so um yeah i mean building my network is something I've always done very proactively uh, certainly buying access to programs that your coaches or mentors or people that you want to get to know run is a great way of getting to know people you know if i want to get to know someone i, I would happily pay to sit in a room that uh, if they're teaching a class or, or join one of their courses it means that they get to know me um but i also you know this is such an interesting concept so i was having this conversation probably over the last year or so with a couple of friends of mine and we're talking about graduating from the audience and what I mean by that is some people seem to be students and some people kind of always evolve to become prefects or class monitors or uh, what do you call them in in the states um, valedictorians right <laughs> um, and yet there are some others who are destined to remain in the audience um, and and I think the solution to that is to is, you know make your own platform and, and and create your own audience but i don't know what the exact answer to that is you know i'm amazed that some of the people who i'm able to call on the phone because i have a relationship with them and i i have to pinch myself sometimes and say you know why are these people talking to me but i think it, it it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when 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 you when you kind of put them first and you say well, i'm, I'm going to make sure that i'm good to these people and i make them look good um, then the more people you can make look good, the faster the word spreads and, and introductions are made and, and it becomes easier each time, I guess. Yeah, I, it makes me think I've only spoken a few times um, at conferences. And I remember the first time I did it, I just thought to myself, all of the value of the conference is being a speaker. Uh, because you're going to meet the other, you meet the other speakers, you know, you get treated great, you get a network. Like I, I, it made me just totally like switch that equation around. And I was saying, wow, if you can be the speaker, that's where the value is. It's not necessarily being in the audience. So I think that kind of changed my perspective. Well, this was, yeah, this is the conversation we're having graduating from the audience. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not strictly true. I think, I think there's a lot of value in attending many conferences. I don't think all the value is in being a speaker, but I certainly feel like at the better end of the stick when I speak. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if you can, yeah, totally. And and if you can build, like you said, a platform for yourself, if you can build an audience for yourself, it's leverage to start getting into those different circles um, and start being able to contact people, like you said, who now you pinch yourself that you're able to call. Let's let's get into how people can start. And I know you you said I don't know exactly how you do that, but what are what are the mistakes that you're seeing with some of the solopreneurs and freelancers um, that you're working with in your course? When it comes to 
uh, when it comes to uh, let's let's talk about selling specifically. So, what are the mistakes around selling uh, that that solopreneurs are making in your course? Typically, not doing enough of it, and that sounds like a very trite answer. Um, but in order for a sale to happen, there has to be a, a, an agreement between two people, the vendor and the buyer. And um, sometimes the buyer will knock on your door and say, I'm interested in buying your thing. And that's great. That means your marketing is working. And um, I know you built a very successful business built on based on word of mouth and having a, a damn good product uh, that people wanted. But uh, for many vendors of services, accountants um, or, or web design or something like that, it's very competitive. Uh, there's, there's lots of competition. And frankly, many, many people when they come to me say, I haven't made enough sales. I haven't made any sales in the last four weeks. <clears throat> I would ask, well, how many sales offers have you made? And the answer would always tally with the number of sales that they've made, <laughs> typically zero. Yeah, well, I haven't made any sales, sales offers or haven't had any sales conversations and I haven't made any sales. I say, well, I do see a correlation here. So prospecting, not enough prospecting. And prospecting is simply identifying potential clients and, and initiating a conversation. This is what, you know, the big corporations have got it right. They're not big corporations because they don't know what they're doing. It's not old-fashioned. Um, it's not yesterday's way of doing things. Having 20,000 Facebook fans will not, is not the same as having a sales team doing proactive outbound and inbound conversion activities. Um, they, you know, these are the guys that we should, we should be learning from and, and, and the struggle for, you can't grow a muscle if you're not doing enough reps, right? You can have theoretical knowledge about, about, um, how to do a push up, but if you don't actually get down and do the push up, then your muscle will not grow. And that problem I see with most of my clients when they join me at least. Um, and, and I'm an absolute stickler for measuring stuff. You know, really that's what the single malt mastermind is about. It's, it's every, every week, send me an email. Um, what did you do? Measurable stuff, externally verifiable stuff, and and stuff that actually makes a difference. I'm not interested in how many pixels to the left you moved your header on your website, and the fact that it took you four <laughs> hours because you're not a web designer. You know, I'm interested in the big stuff, um, and that's what you should be interested in too. But we take refuge in the busy stuff and avoid the really productive stuff. And from a selling point of view, productive is hey, um, I want to move you from the left hand side of my screen to the right-hand side of my screen um, because on my screen is a sales pipeline and you are currently new opportunity and I want to convert you into new clients. So what do we have to do to make that happen? So people hide from the important work of selling, which is the most important work. And they do that by, let's say, updating their website or you know working on their social media accounts. But really it's the fear of selling that is keeping them from jumping on the phone or prospecting new leads, like you said. Um, how are you helping people build the confidence to sell? Well, fear is uh, is true. People are afraid of selling. They're afraid of selling for many reasons. Um, some of that is lack of knowledge. Uh, some of it is because it's not nice to hear no multiple times a day. Um, and, you know, you don't have to hear no in selling. But I think good salespeople should want to hear no so they're not chasing their tails with maybes and I'll get back to you, uh, which is kind of painful. So... So, so the, the big way I think to eliminate fear is to build confidence. Now, confidence isn't the same as enthusiasm, right? You don't have to be like Tigger uh, or um, so, some, I don't know if you have Winnie, Winnie the Pooh, you have Pooh Bear in, in, in the state. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. So oh, yeah. The, the, up watching the it. one who, who bounces up and down and is permanently enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be like that character to be uh, confident. Confidence is about knowledge. 
um, you know, I am confident that somebody will die in a car accident next week. I'm not happy about it. I'm not enthusiastic about it. But based upon my experience of the world and statistics, I can say with great confidence that that will happen. Right. So that's confidence. That's what confidence is. Confidence is knowledge about outcome based upon data. And <clears throat> that's how confidence goes in a workplace. You don't have the same confidence on day one that you have on day seven. Um, confidence at a new school, you're much, you're visibly less comfortable and confident on the first day in a new school than you are, uh, at, you know, the last day. Um, it's, it's just based upon data and experience. I know it's going to be okay, or I know I can be confident that certain things are going to happen. So the only way that we can build that, I think, is by making ourselves, um, and I, I, again, to avoid sounding like a cliched sales trainer, we must, must just get uncomfortable for a bit because it's not never mm -hmm. as bad as you think it really isn't uh, particularly if you use soft gentle approaches to selling which is you know i'd recommend a very straightforward conversation that goes something like this. hey um you know what i'd love to work with a firm like yours or i'd love to work with an organization like yours um could we have a chat to see whether or not that would be possible and whether we'd be a good fit that's a that's a great opening Right? You don't need to anything mm -hmm. else. And if you say that a hundred times, you're going to get three or four people who say, sure, let's discuss. And then all of a sudden, you're in a proper sales conversation, right? And, and, and you get better. Mm -hmm. Your closing rate gets better with confidence because you get confident about which company is more likely to say, yes, what kind of approach is going to work more effectively. Uh, and, and you're going to realize that um, the rewards are, are manifest. But you've got to enjoy it, right? You've got to do it systematically in order for it to be fun. Um, because you can't enjoy it if you're worried that it won't work. That That's the opposite of mm. enjoyment. You have to see some proof. You have to experience some wins. And you have to collect that data to say that every time I, I have this conversation, I'm going to get, you know, I'm 20% closer to a sale or I can, I can give that a monetary value. And if I have 100 conversations and one of them ends up in a sale for $10,000, then I know that every conversation has been worth what? I'm not very good at math, 100 bucks. Okay, so, and yeah, and is it about simplifying that process then too? So you, you've you've got a lot of different options today. I think for business generating activities, um, a lot of people see social media as a potential outlet for that. But what you're saying is that uh, it's it's actually better to maybe just simplify and measure this one pitch, and then as you test that, you can tweak it. You can start to see patterns. Uh, you can see where you're getting rejected and how you can overcome that. And then it becomes something that's a little bit more comfortable. Um, so is it is it really about like simplifying? Are people doing uh, too many different, they're going in too many different directions for how they're trying to sell? Yeah, in many cases, I think there's a lack of focus. I, I think you always want to be shaving down your field of uh, focus, your, your area of focus. So if you start with a very you know, beginning, if I have someone who's not enjoying much success or has started a brand new company, um, I would say we need to start with a group of people, any group of people, just people, um, and we'll call that your target market. And then um, the other thing we're going to work on is, is offer. So how do we get into sales conversations in order to present our thing? Is that going to be on social media? Perhaps. Is it going to be at the shopping mall? Perhaps. Um, and what we're going to work on then is refining those two. If you've got people on the left, kind of if you can picture two circles, people on the left and, and offer on the right, what's going to happen is we're going to make the group of people smaller uh, by saying, okay, so today, what was our activity today? We went to 100 people in the mall and asked if they wanted to join our gym. 
three of them said yes, or two of them said yes, they'd, they'd be happy to pay for a month-by-month -month subscription. Okay, good. So what do we know? We know we've got a 2% close rate with people who shop at this shopping mall. How can we get a higher close rate by being smarter about the people that we talk to? Okay, so, well, well, let's make some hypotheses. Maybe we're going to um, go for younger people. Maybe we're going to go for older people. Maybe we're going to go for males. Maybe we're going to go for females. Maybe we're going to go for people who live in this postcode instead of this postcode because we believe they have more disposable income or they take their health more seriously. And this is the, narrow, the refinement, the narrowing down of the target market until we really get to fish in the most lucrative ponds. Um, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the densely populated areas um, for our specific target market. And yours will be different to mine. So it's a, it's a, it's a question of narrowing focus. Can you, can you reach these people on social media? Sure, of course you can. I think too many people are putting too much focus on social media today, um, in my world at least. You know, I don't think the chiropractor necessarily needs to be on social media. I think he'd be crazy if, if, if he wasn't to some degree, but do, do his marketing efforts need to be there? No. You and I both know people with 10, 20, 30,000 Facebook fans and no money in their bank. Um, that, you know, there's got to be a good reason. I think, I think social media marketing is fantastic. I run a, a location independent business, I'd say almost exclusively thanks to social media marketing, but I don't use it very much. You know, I, I prefer to do all my selling and marketing on, on email, um, for example. So I'm not a huge proponent of social media, but it's very easy to be distracted. And if you're, if you're not getting enough clients today, or if you're not getting, uh, I think it's rarely, rarely not enough clients. It's normally not, not able to convert the leads well enough or poor quality lead, right? How many clients do you need? 10, 20? If you're a web designer, maybe five at a time on a retainer. Something like that. So do you really need to get 100,000 new leads this year? Or do you just need 20 really good leads and you convert 25% of them? And that's what I would argue. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if now that the market is so big, now that we're a global, uh, now, now you can do your business from anywhere, you can have clients all over the world. I wonder if that's part of the reason people have had a hard time actually narrowing it down a lot, which is what you're saying, to, to focus on the right people. Um, you, you brought up email, and I think there's something magical about your email, and I want to try to figure it out on the show. And here's here's what I've observed, and maybe you can give me some um, some thoughts about your perspective on email. So, your email's a blast to read; they're all really fun, and they keep you engaged, and they always sell. Like I think there's there's kind of the Gary Vaynerchuk world, which is the jab, 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 right hook, which is like you want to give value, you want to give value, and then you want to uh, ask for the sale. And I feel like you've somehow crafted, whether it's um, just part of your brand, um, but you can sell all day and it feels like a good experience. And I still feel like I'm getting value. And I've been trying to sort of figure out um, how it is that you do that. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I wonder when you craft an email, can you tell me some about what's going through your mind um, or that process for, um, I'm going to write an email today, here's the purpose of it, and here's how I'm going to craft it. Sure. And thank you very much for your kind words. I'm, I'm proud of my emails and I get a lot of positive feedback and, and you know, in, in, one day I hope to be a, an email writing hermit who does nothing but write emails and occasionally get up on stage and speak. Um, <clears throat> so primary, a couple of major considerations. First consideration is, uh, would I want to read this? 
right? My, my target market, my ideal client looks a lot like me. And I think that's true for many people. That's true for many people who aren't selling to suckers, right? Or maybe it's also true for people who are selling to suckers. Maybe it's the suckers who are selling to the suckers, right? Um, I, so first thing, would I want to read this email? You know, is this something that I would be happy to send to a friend or a family member? And the tone of my professional emails is slightly different to the tone of the emails that I sent to my friends, but very deliberately so, right? Um, so I'm, I'm slightly more verbose. I use slightly longer words. Um, I'm more thoughtful. So the next thing that I do after I after I've written it and I say, you know, would I would I read would I like to read this email? Next question is, well, is it entertaining? My belief is, uh, you know, all all marketing or sales emails should should serve the purpose to either educate, inform, or or entertain. And for me, entertaining is the most powerful because education. Educational material and informative material will be read because it's useful, but we don't go to bed every night with uh, a copy of an instruction manual or a how-to guide. We go to bed with that novel, that, that thing that makes us laugh. We keep going back to the stuff that makes us smile. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the primary concern. So the way that I do it is I start with what I want to sell, start with the end in mind. So typically that might be click here to get this thing or hit reply if you want to know more. Uh, and then I have a, and, and, and that's there, that's sitting at the bottom of the email. Then I'll normally come up with some hook. Uh, the hook will be a, a story or uh, more frequently, uh, recently certainly, my philosophy around something. You know, I, I, I have no shame anymore in sharing what I think about stuff. Because I think the more that you can show of yourself, the more you will attract the right people and repel the wrong people. So um, there'll typically be story or philosophy or joke or something that's something that's going to make somebody go, huh. I think that's what I, I want people to go, huh. Either because I've said something clever or because I've said something funny or because I made them look at the world or a tiny fragment of the world in a slightly different way. You know, how, wow, huh. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, and sometimes it might just be a turn of phrase. That's enough. That's enough. And then I'm um, jumping ahead here, I think, but it's it's about connecting that huh moment um, with some of the entertainment that came along with it to the sale. Can you talk some about how that works? Because, yeah, I feel like you can you sort of effortlessly uh, sell, whether it's an affiliate or your own uh, goods through the email, but connected to those stories. How do you bridge those two together? Yeah, I guess you know, it's, the, it's the segue, and it is a bit of an art, um, but I think it's also a bit of a science. And there's an exercise that I certainly do. Yeah, I t I t okay, let me, let, me be, let, me, let me rewind a little bit. If you don't understand who your target market is who, or who the people reading your emails are and what they will specifically be interested in, this is very difficult. If you do understand who the people are, what they're interested in, and whether or not what you have is a value to them, this is very easy. Because there are really only three or four things that people are going to want to, to do in my world. They want to earn money. They want to have more time. 
Um, they want to be more productive, which I guess is related to, to having more time, or they want to be like me. And I don't say that with any pride, but certainly, you know, when I've made serious investment decisions, it's because I want to be more like the person I'm buying the thing from. Um, so, so when that, when you understand that you can talk, you can, you know, you can segue from going on a fishing holiday to fishing for new clients, or you can segue from getting steamy hot in a sauna to, um, enjoying steamy hot clients or enjoying a sweat free client getting process. You know, it's, it can be as simple as that turn of phrase. And I think I love language, love books. And I've always loved writing. And I think I have a distinct advantage. And if you don't love it, don't do it. Um, but I really, you know, that, um, I, I'll write my email once, then I'll rewrite for delight. So I'll say, I'll read it out loud. I'll, I'll change out, swap out some words, perhaps get out the thesaurus if I'm feeling clever. Well, I don't do that anymore, but I used to when I was in high school. And, uh, uh, and, and then cross your fingers, send out, uh, hit, hit send and, and still worry that you've made a mistake. And if you have, people will let you know, yeah. you know. Right. And I think, I think that is, that does clear things up a lot. You're saying that if you really understand what this email is going to lead to, which I think a lot of people probably don't really understand that when they're creating it, then it really is just going to fall into one of those four boxes every time. And so you kind of almost work your way backwards a little bit into that. Um, but you know that you're always ending up with something that's on target for what the people who are listening to you want to be hearing about. Um, I, I do think that clears things up a lot. So thank you. I've been curious about that for a while. One of the things that Michael Port told me was, uh, you know, very, very early on that if, was that if he could replace the word marketing with another word, it would be relevancy. Um, marketing or sales material, whether that's an email, a conversation, a billboard, a, a TV ad, whatever, only works if it's relevant to the person that you are addressing it to. And, and I think this is, I think, I think small businesses are getting better and better and better at this. There's still the part which is, you know, how is it? Is it too self-indulgent? Is it too clever? Is it too? You know, I've read emails sometimes which sound boastful, um, or emails which just don't land. But I think generally, um, my profession is quite good at writing these emails. But people who are terrible at it are corporate, absolutely atrocious at writing emails that are relevant or interesting. Um, they'll send out coupons, which are difficult to read in your mobile browser or something like that. Or they'll send out announcements about the company. And we don't care. You know, we've just been ISO 9001 certified. And here's a photo of our CEO cutting a ribbon outside our new warehouse in Idaho. You know, we don't care. That's masturbatorial. Get out, you know, get out of my inbox. I invite you in. You're meant to, you know, you're, you're welcome here until you're not. So I think corporate generally are very bad at, uh, at speaking to their audience. Yeah, it's um, it's almost funny because of how much that still happens. Uh, I think you're right. They yep. treat it kind of just like PR. So uh, I, I kind of want to get to the end of the show here. And I, I do something with all the guests, which is I want to hear about what's on their mind uh, for what's next. So I know um, you've been thinking about changing up some of your programs. Um, so I'm always just curious kind of what is on the horizon for people like yourself. What are you thinking about um, so yeah, what, what's next for you? What, what are any major changes that you're making coming up over the next six months to a year? Well, thank you for asking. Um, do less, do less. Um, I started on the journey of simplification. You know, I stopped working with Michael Port about 18 months ago and um, as, the, as the head of the Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training. And, and, and in that time, I've, I've had an absolute blast um, and I've said yes to everything. Will I do this consulting gig? Will I do this speaking gig? Will I do this? 
podcast interview and i would always have said yes to you david um and i will continue to do that right um, and uh will i do this will i do that will i take this on and i've just said yes to everything and it's been an absolute blast and it's been relatively exhausting so you asked me at the beginning you know how do i do this stuff well now i've got a thing and, and that's what i'm doing more of less next year less doing more of less next year so that means eliminating a couple of things and focusing on the things i really love um which will be specifically speaking writing and f- facilitating as opposed to coaching, you know, uh, herding good people um, rather than creating new stuff. I, I'd be happy to write a book next year, but I'd, I don't want to be on the hook for creating new training materials, new content, not next year. Um, and and so what that means is I've got my uh, mastermind program, which is going to be renamed uh, the Professional Persuasion Program, probably to something like the Mastery Program. Um, and this is a virtual mastermind which you are in and which many of your um uh, listeners would be would be welcome to ask me about and the other thing i'm doing is um i'm gonna i'm gonna start something called the advisory board and i've already got a few people lined up for that and this will be a smaller more expensive more intimate um brain trust if you like that meets in person or on a regular basis in interesting locations around the world oh that's awesome yeah. Well, you've got great stuff coming up, man. I, I think that makes sense as kind of the next step for you. So excited to see where that all lands. Uh, do you want to, is there anything else you want to promote um, or sell, I suppose, at the end of the show? Um, obviously, I can link things up as well. Um, death, but, death to the stock yeah. photo. <laughs> yeah. I that's pretty cool. I think you go check hey, well, that thank out. you. Yeah, yeah. Go, go check out Death <laughs> to Stock and sign up for premium so I can keep paying my bills. Boom. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, but uh, all right. Well, Matt, Matt, thank you so much again. I, I really appreciate the time. Um, and uh, always good to speak from you. There's always things that I'm observing kind of in the background and I'm, I'm curious about how stuff works. So thanks for being generous with your time and sharing that with uh, myself and the audience as well. Dude, if all of my conversations were as great as this one, I, I'd be a very, very happy man. Thank you for having me. Thanks.